0: I have never done this before, and I won't ever do it again at this level, but I have something big to share. My private coaching packages are 40% off right now. That's right, you could save up to $480 while you get to find a career that fits you like an absolute glove. Like, get into a career that actually has you forcing yourself to get some work-life balance because otherwise you would work on the weekend just for fun working with me is perfect for you if you have said something along the lines of any of the following. My job is sucking the life out of me right now. I feel so undervalued and bored. It doesn't feel like I'm really working towards anything. Or mm, maybe this isn't worth spending my life on, especially at this pay rate. Or how about the grand old classic, My work seems meaningless. I am really sick of feeling aimless or without a purpose. And what the heck? I'm sure you've also said something along the lines of, I don't want my job to just be about paying the bills. I want to have a sense of passion. So if any variation of those has come out of your mouth and sucked up time at a happy hour with a friend... This is the opportunity for you. And if you think my clientele is any certain type of person that doesn't include you, you would be absolutely wrong. I have worked with people anywhere from 22 to 60 years old, patent attorneys to people working at a grocery store, and they have all said the same thing. As a result of our work together, they are more clear, confident, and excited and purposeful in their career than they have literally ever thought possible. I am not kidding you right now. And seriously, don't wait another second because this offer is expiring the Friday after next on August 30th. Book your free consultation with me for this week and make sure everything is signed, sealed, and delivered by the cutoff to get this incredible offer. I'm doing this, just to let you know, because I want to make sure that absolutely everyone has the chance to get the help they want. So I'm opening up this opportunity for to get all this at an easy investment level, just for a limited time. I promise it will never be this low again. So make sure to snatch this up before it expires on August 30th. Follow the apply for coaching link in my bio or find it on my fresh new website, kelseykemp.com. All right, now enjoy today's episode. Hey friends, it's Kelsey Kemp, here to inspire and guide you as you answer the call. Tune in each week to hear me illuminate the biblical truth of what a calling actually is and how to find yours so you could create a career worthy of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't just be hearing from me, though. Some of the most incredible and purposeful people I know will be joining me to tell you their story of how God called them into careers that honor who they were made to be. So their work is now creating generations of ripple effects for the glory of God. Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Y'all, I just came off of this interview with my friend Jordan Tilton, and I kid you not, really, I feel like I'm floating with encouragement. And honestly, I think that this is going to be an episode that I return to and dwell on multiple times as time goes on. It's just her words are so moving. Her testimony is, man, it just cuts to the heart. And even though her story is so incredible and you might not be able to relate exactly of like, I don't know, were you a a professional ballet dancer um, for, for one of the biggest, best companies in the whole world? Probably not. But will you be able to relate to her dealing with idolizing her dream career and struggling to get to the point where Jesus was on the throne and at the center of her life. Um, Not this dream that she so desperately wanted to come to pass. Uh, I, I know that I have related to that and I'm sure you have as well. So her story will be such an encouragement. And also seeing how Um, how that dream has sweetened and changed into something so much more that is now serving people through her podcast called Ballet to Business. I absolutely recommend that you go check that out. It's incredible where she has turned, as you'll hear in her story, this desire for recognition and given that to the Lord. And he has made it and transformed it for his good, where she now wants to serve other people by sharing their story of how they went from being a ballet dancer to starting their own business. And man, it oh, it's abundantly awesome. That I just sounded like such a dude whenever I said that, but we'll we'll just move on. Anyways. I am going to leave you now to enjoy this episode. So stick around to the end. It only gets better and better and better. Jordan, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Kelsey. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. My pleasure.
0: Well, okay. I'm just eager to get into it. First off, your podcast. I'm just going to say it. We're going to get to this in your story of how you came to be doing this. But just just top of the episode, keep this interview going. But everyone listening, go look up Ballet to Business. Subscribe to it. It's incredible. You'll understand more of why later. But side note, complete. Please give us a little bit about your background. Like, Where where did you come from and what were you interested in whenever you were just wee little Jordan?
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for that kind comment. My cheeks are like really red.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Take it. It's incredible. It really is.
1: Thank you. Well, wee little Jordan, let's see, I grew up in Southern California. I'm from Irvine and it's the bubble (laughs) as people like to refer it to as it's the bubble. And um, I grew up, I am the daughter of two incredibly loving parents. Um, My mom worked part-time at a chiropractic office growing up. And so I would, once I started taking ballet, I would see those (laughs) chiropractors, which was kind of cool. Um, oh, that
0: is handy. Yeah. I wish that, you know, doesn't everyone wish, well, especially people with a ballet background or any kind of dance like that, they're like, man, I wish I had the in at a masseuse or, or I guess I should say massage therapist. I don't know if they go by masseuse anymore or a chiropractor <laughs> or later in the story, I don't know, maybe a, a therapist, whatever. It gets a little crazy, but um, that's awesome that you had that in at the Cairo office.
1: Yeah. I didn't really understand it until I started doing ballet and then actually needed to go to a chiropractor. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and then my, my dad is an incredibly hardworking man. He is a firefighter. Um, so I grew up just admiring him so much for that. And my brother and I are 16 months apart. He's older wow. than me. Um, so we, we would Play together growing up. um, He loved scary movies, making scary movies. (gasps) No, I I
0: love all movies except scary movies.
1: But trust me, they weren't that scary. Like how okay. scary can a 10 year old make a scary movie? It was more like him putting tape on my mouth and like I oh. have like held me hostage. It's, it was really not that scary. That sounds scary for you. I'm glad that you survived it. Oh my gosh. It Well, I couldn't stop laughing with him. So he's That's- quite funny and Um, He was really into movie making and stuff. But for me, I think I I definitely grew up um, (laughs) as someone who loved school. I I loved to write. I loved art class in school. I always would uh, write creative stories. Um, English was my favorite subject. I also was a perfectionist in that I wanted straight A's all the time. I remember getting my first B plus in math class, fifth grade. And I just cried my eyeballs out. Um, It's
0: like a significant part of your testimony. Like I got a B in the fifth grade. Oh my gosh.
1: My parents were like, are you, are you kidding? Like you're crying over a B plus, but it's true. I mean, I, I really, and I, I don't know. I think that's part of just my personality. I wouldn't, Attribute that to ballet, but I definitely think at that time ballet didn't help me being a perfectionist.
0: It indulged it, I'm sure. Yeah. I have a quick question going back of what you said about Irvine being a um, a, a bubble. bubble. Mm-hmm. Okay, that immediately piqued my interest because I realize how much I've said that about my own hometown of, uh, well, not so much my exact hometown of Corpus Christi, but kind of. Um, conservative Texas in general and so I'd love to hear just a little bit about what does it mean that Irvine is a bubble
1: yeah it's a it's a great question because I wonder if we all maybe think about our like suburban hometowns that way yes (laughs) I I would say it just felt like Irvine is quite large too it's not a small town it's a it's a big town. Um, and it's near Newport beach and Tustin, like it's around, it's, it, it bumps up to these towns, but it feels like a bubble in the sense that to get around. And especially when I was younger to get around, I needed to ask my parents to drive me to these places. And it would only be in the perimeters of this bubble. So I felt like I barely ever got out of this bubble just because I couldn't drive myself outside of the bubble, if that makes sense.
0: You could never leave.
1: (laughs) I I couldn't ride my bike outside the bubble. I couldn't walk outside the bubble because the bubble was so big. Oh gosh. I just, (laughs) that's how it felt to me, especially in the context of once I moved to San Francisco later on in my story at 16, I was like, I can take the bus anywhere. Like, Watch out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Muni, I, I was amazed that I could get around town by myself. Like There is this independence and ability to see so much more than what I could see when I was growing up in Irvine, which is fine. I was a child, you know, it's not like people were expecting me to get outside the bubble by myself, but that's kind of what I mean by that. I think.
0: Yeah. I love it. It's reminding me of the first time I went to a restaurant by myself. Uh, It was at my home studios, my little Dolly Dinkle home studios. Uh, summer intensive program, if we could call it that. It's just summer classes. And during the break, I think I was um, 12 or something, uh, we would walk over right next door to Wendy's. (laughs) And I remember feeling like at the pinnacle of independence, which I don't know, maybe 12 year olds are much more advanced um, at At large, I guess. But that's how I felt. And it's reminding me of that, to hear you say all of that. But sorry, going back to your story. Tell me about how ballet came into the picture and how that developed.
1: Yeah, so... Ballet first came into the picture when I was three and I was dancing in the living room and my mom was like, huh, okay, Um, maybe sign her up for some classes. So um, I went to just a pre-ballet class once a week and it was there that this seed was planted. Um, The teacher pulled my mom aside and was like, I really hope you keep her in ballet because she has really beautiful feet. And my mom thought that comment was like odd. Because <laughs> that's odd. really odd, but that's just a snippet that the ballet world has this completely different language that um, when you're in it, like that's actually a compliment. It's not- When okay. you know, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So um, my mom was like, okay, that's interesting. But after that, I stopped dancing for a while and I, I don't really know why. Um, I think I just, we, we moved- um, a little bit at that time. So maybe that was a part of it, but I didn't pick it up again until third grade. And there was, um, a family who lived across the street and it was three girls, three daughters, and we would play all the time in the streets, like had a really great childhood growing up with them. And um, they started taking dance classes at a really local studio called Dance Emotions. Dance and- <laughs> Emotions, yeah. the drama. I know. I love. I love the Dolly Dinkle studio names. <laughs> yes, um, the best. Yeah, and and that's where I started dancing again. So I was in third grade, and I mean, I I really am thankful for God's. Incredible providence in that there was the perfect teacher there that I needed to meet who would later continue to lead me into more with profession with ballet um, because at that school you know it's it it wasn't like people were, were going there to become professional ballet dancers, so um, I met my my teacher who i she invested so much in me and i guess just saw potential in me and um, she took me from that school and said come with me i teach at another ballet school that is more strictly ballet than this school and so i just i followed her and um, i trained privately with her at this school called Daria Bearden, so another step, another step up with the ballet schools, and um, at
0: least in names, it sounds like right? a little bit more serious.
1: Yeah. yeah, emotions. Right, it's like attached to someone's career, you know, their yeah. name. That's um, incredible. And and there, I I started point for the first time. I remember just learning more about ballet and being excited about, you know, getting in the car after a lesson and my mom would be like, what'd you learn today? I'm like, Padasha.
0: Padasha. Okay. (laughs) I have to say, I guess seven or so years out from the last time that I danced before I went to college and whenever I was still uh, pursuing it as a professional career or the hope of, uh, I now with all that distance from ballet truly I'm starting to hear how gibberish like it sounds for people to be talking about wait I, I was about to say ballet moves I think I'm becoming so pedestrian <laughs> that I'm very self-conscious about this chat. <laughs> gosh how would we even describe what that is you have to know it I don't right. know Gotta it does aware.
1: mean step of the cat so if you picture kind of uh a- I don't know. A two knee thing. It's a jump. It's a type of jump. Um, (laughs) but that, yeah, I just, I remember my, my mind almost being like, wow, there's so much to learn. And that was really intriguing to me at the same time. My teacher had such a high standard and I, you know, I would hear no, no, that's not right, Jordan. No, no, no. And the perfectionist in me, and also the people pleaser in me was, was just, I'd cry a lot because I, I just wanted to please her. And I wanted to, um, for her to say that I was doing something right, you know, and um, I didn't hear that much from her, but now looking back, I know it's because just the, the, the level of classical ballet sometimes just seems so unattainable because it does require so much refining over the years. And, um, I, yeah, I just, it was, it was hard for me to understand that. And my mom sometimes would, she would talk to my mom and just be like, I think Jordan's a little too sensitive. Like, and it's kind of true. I mean, I, I was a very sensitive child. Um, but so maybe this was part of just the experience of toughening me up a little bit <laughs> to have to keep going. Um, but from there, you know, a couple years went by and she said, look, I think you need to go to a bigger school where there are dancers who are older than you dancers who are better than you. So I went to Ballet Pacifica, which was a conservatory that was strictly, for ballet, at the time they had a pr- regional company attached to the school, so I, How I old went were there. you at this time? I was twelve at that time, oh, wow. so I had spent a good, you know, three or four years with my teacher, and then I went to this school, and there were more kids who were my age, um, who had been on point for like longer than me. And um, it was really eye-opening. And I enjoyed my time there though. Like the teachers, uh, my teacher's background is, she's from Poland. So uh, more of a a European kind of um, take on things when it comes to ballet. But when I went to Valley Pacifica, a lot of those teachers that I had had American backgrounds. So they, it's just different. It's its a different kind of technique that I, not a different kind of technique, but it's a different style, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah this is so incredible just to um, take a step back and realize how unique your situation uh, or your story is that Many of the people I'm talking to on this podcast, or you know, just taking a sample from my friends, a lot of us are talking about how our direction started to become clear, our calling started to become clear, and we got, um, I guess, a trajectory together around college or after college. um, After we had this container of just, oh, I'm just figuring things out, you know, whatever, of school. Um, but for you, we're talking about you being twelve years old, seriously pursuing um, ballet in the aim of it becoming a career. and so i I'm so excited to continue to um, go through your story, and I'm just appreciating right now how unique that is that you were already so focused, so dedicated, making moves to groom yourself um, for. A career as a professional ballet dancer and you know that's of course average for um for that industry but certainly not average whenever it comes to society at large as you know so I really appreciate this
1: yeah I I mean it's like thank you for putting it in that perspective because um for me I I didn't really know what it was like to be a professional dancer at that age. I didn't really know what it would mean for me to have a career in ballet. And I have to credit my teachers and just people who who knew more about this industry because I didn't grow up feeling I had a lot of self-confidence. Like I wasn't the kind of dancer who said, I'm 12 years old, but I wanna be a principal with American Ballet Theater. Like that wasn't me. I I didn't know, my my parents and my family knew nothing about ballet Um, and I really took my steps um, based on what people had spoken in my life. You know, my teacher said, I really think that you can pursue this professionally. And that gave me the confidence, just the belief that someone had in me to do it because I didn't have that belief within myself Mm -hmm. because I really didn't know what the professional ballet world was like as a career. Yeah.
0: It's not usually something that, I don't know, you just Google and think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'd like to pursue that. I remember that same feeling of just being um, absolutely enthralled with the art form of ballet and getting so serious about it. But even years of pursuit and pre-professional training, it wasn't until I was about 14 that I started to understand, wait, how does one become like paid for this? How do they get into the American ballet theaters of the world, basically? It does uh, that level of company. Um, so it's just so interesting. And another part of your story being that they there's key figures that God placed in your life mm-hmm. that were such a strong guiding force. Um, that got you to this point so speaking of getting you to this point uh in your story you're at ballet pacifica right
1: yeah so i continued my training there um and at that time uh the next summer you know i started going away to summer intensive so it's a five week camp basically for ballet dancers and you have to audition for these different summer intensives in order to be able to go so I did auditions for summer intensives across the country, and I had heard a lot of great things about one in New York called School of American Ballet. So they're attached to New York City Ballet, and I got accepted to go to that program as well as San Francisco Ballet. So from my parents' point of view, they they liked the setup of school of american ballet because everything was in one building and your child didn't have to leave that building.
0: Yes, <laughs> for good grief. Were you 13, 12, 12? I was 13. Oh uh, getting yeah. shipped off to the big city.
1: I know. Uh, I, I definitely I, cried. I'm not going to lie. I, I cried the night before just because I it was such a culture shock to me um, having grown up in Orange County all of a sudden I'm in New York and my parents are going to leave me for five weeks. My mom felt so bad. But in crazy. God's in God's providence, he brings people into your life. And I met one of my best friends, actually, Lauren Lovett. Um, and the the second that we got connected at SAB that summer, um, we were kind of inseparable. And my mom was like, I, I didn't even cry when my parents left because I had just met my best friend and I was like, okay, bye.
0: <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. He knew that you needed it. That's like any 13-year-old would. Gosh, it's just yeah. so crazy. So how did it go from there?
1: Yeah, so I, um, let's see. I, I went back to SAB the next summer at 14. Um, and that's kind of where, my, a big part of my story is just my challenge with repetitive injury. So I like echoing back to my childhood when (laughs) I was noted for having beautiful feet, uh, in the ballet world, that's like flexible feet. And so oftentimes with flexibility, you lack strength. And I, it, it always felt sometimes too, that I couldn't control my feet. Like I didn't have the strength to, be able to keep up in some areas, especially on point, because your foot is just so vulnerable in that shoe. And um, I was always mad at myself too for that. I was like, if only I could get stronger, then I would be like a much better dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would be like, but your lines are so beautiful. But I, I was just always frustrated. Um, So I sprained my ankle that summer actually at SAB and uh, it was hard. It was, it was hard because I'm away at a summer intensive to dance and I can't dance because Mm -hmm. I'm hurt. So Mm -hmm. I have to go see physical therapists and doctors and ice and just sit out of class and watch people dance. And, um, but, (laughs) but it's weird at the same time though, because at that summer intensive, they have a lot of activities for the kids. And I remember it was my, <laughs> this is going to sound so weird. I was exposed to, um, mod podging. So it's mod like, some, podging. Yeah. <laughs> wait, is that like scrapbooking? Or? Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> so it's a kind of like scrapbooking where it's a glue that basically you can like put all these different pictures or like magazine clippings together and then put this glue over them and it just hardens them like all together. And we were making these boxes. Like it was, it was an evening where they were like, mod podge and collage, like come to this room and mod podge. And I was like, interesting. I want to do that. I like, like I said, I love arts and crafts. So I, I was like, Oh my gosh, I've never used this mod podge before. I love this. Like I got exposed to mod podge at Summer Intensive at SMB. So I I have always had this other side of me with ballet. I you know, it does, it's so intense that it does demand all of a lot of your time. And a lot of these other interests fall at the wayside. But I've loved scrapbooking growing up and I've also really had a thing for interior design. I loved watching trading spaces and these like renovation type shows. So that, I was glad to have mod podging as a, yes. as a something I could enjoy. And then um, you
0: became a professional mod, <laughs> mod podger. Wait, how do you even say that? So how did your career in that develop? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. That would be (laughs) your, like, new intense thing. Um, But, wow. Okay. So, you, every summer, are going away to these big intensives. It sounds like two years In New York, or was it Uh, more
1: than Two in New York, and then the next two I spent in San Francisco. So I was old enough for my parents to be okay with me riding the Muni by my – not by myself, with a friend, Mm. (laughs) to the ballet studios. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, So how did this, uh, I guess, pre-professional student pursuit of ballet turn into your profession?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So – Um, When I got to San Francisco Ballet School, the first summer I was there, I was 15, and I had this, I heard about this program called Trainee Program, and it was very compelling to me. I, uh, six boys and six girls would be invited to be a part of this program for the year round, and it's kind of like a, a second company in a way, where these kids would get to, Be in the studio with San Francisco Ballet and oftentimes um, like understudy certain roles um, with the company, but they also were able to go around the Bay Area and put on their own performances. So they was programs like the trainee program, or maybe you've also in the ballet world, they're called like a second company position. Um, are really a stepping stone for kids to take ballet to the next level in terms of actually getting it to become their career. So my first summer, um, I was asked to stay in the highest level of the school, level eight. And I was 15. I had just finished my freshman year of high school. And my mom was just like, you know, I think it's it's a great opportunity. We're so grateful for that, but I didn't really feel ready to leave home. I, I liked high school. Um, and I didn't feel like it was the right time, but in the back of my mind that whole year coming up training, I, my goal was, I, I would love to be asked to be a trainee next summer. Like, so i worked really hard and I actually ended up going to, um, Uh, independent study for school that year. So I left public high school um, midway through my sophomore year so that I could take ballet classes in the morning as well as in the evening and uh, finish my school independently. So I I didn't finish my high school then, but just continue my education independently.
0: Wow. You are quite literally or were training like an Olympian, just to put that into context. Um, that's absolutely remarkable. And at this point you're 15, uh, having a decision on your plate, should I leave home yet or not? And so you push it off a year and okay, what happened? You're 16.
1: Yeah. So I was 16. I went back to summer intensive at San Francisco ballet school and I was just ugh, like, so grateful that, um, they asked me to be a trainee that year. And it was something that before, actually, before I went away to summer intensive, this was my first, um, kind of big moment, I guess, with God that I, I really remember because growing up, I, um, we didn't go to church all that often, uh, due to my dad's schedule as a firefighter. And, I had a Bible that my grandma gave me, but I never really read it. Like I just, but I, I, I somehow would say that I loved God or, and I think that was kind of, I knew that it was a good thing to love God, but I didn't really understand actually what that was for my heart to love God and the truth of what it meant that Christ died for me. I knew he died for me, but it what it didn't it it hadn't transformed my heart yet. Um, and I was so frustrated with myself with ballet. I thought, what is the future going to hold for me? This is such a confusing, like, what if I go away to San Francisco ballet for the summer and they don't ask me to be a trainee? What I just felt so inadequate and I wasn't sure if I could even make it, Um, and I was worried. I was, I was just worried. I had a lot of anxiety over the future. And I just, um, I remember actually being in my room and I, I was like, I need to open this Bible. Like I, I gotta open it. And it was just one of those, this is not something I recommend now. Uh-huh. But it was one of those roulette things where I literally just flipped it open.
0: Yes and
1: I it <laughs> we all landed, have
0: those moments.
1: right It landed in in Matthew um, during the Sermon on the Mount where Christ is talking to his uh, you know talking to the crowds basically and saying like do not be anxious about tomorrow. Um, Why is that? Matthew six six. yeah. Matthew six. And I are uh, like reading about, why do you worry about clothing? Like consider the lilies of the field and in Christ saying, like, do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, will worry about its own things. I just felt like that was the first time that the word of God really spoke to me. And was I I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you said not to worry. Like I don't have to worry. Like that that is saying something you're saying that you know the father knows my needs. And I don't need to be worried about my career and the way in which I'm worrying about it, and also in the way in which I'm the one who has to make it all happen. Wow. So I had that that Really transformational moment in which that was the first time that the word of God just like hit me like that. It just like got to my heart, you know. Um, wow. and then I I kept that that with me when I went away to summer intensive, and and then I ended up staying in San Francisco. Um, and I moved to San Francisco at 16 to be a trainee with the San Francisco Ballet School. So That's
0: pretty wild. Pretty yeah. wild. And I, just another context clue, I have to say, for anyone who is not in the ballet realm, who's listening, San Francisco Ballet is one of the top companies in the entire world. This was my dream on top of dreams, that I would be affiliated with uh, SFB in any way. I got to go to the summer intensive twice. Um, And so for you to say that you got that position, that is beyond revered, Mm -hmm. especially at such a young age, 16. Um, I'm not sure how old uh, other people in your uh, group were, but I know like 18 is probably um, an age that your peers were as well. But that is crazy and i'm interested to hear your perspective as someone who held on to that biblical truth of do not worry it, and you had some you had a dream a vision that you held so dearly and wanted so badly to come to pass and it actually happened um and for me and, and i know that this happens for all of us in different examples in our lives there's many times where it doesn't happen yeah um And so what was it like in your faith journey for that dream to happen? Um, How was your relationship with God after that? Because I know my idolatrous heart would just be like, okay, thanks. God is like basically my candy man and I got it.
1: (laughs) Girl, I'm the same. Like (laughs) I am prone to wander and I feel it. Like I'm prone to leave. God I love. Like it's, I'm no different. And I would say that my relationship with God didn't have much depth. Um, you know, during the time in which I was living in San Francisco, I listened to a lot of music. Uh, I didn't necessarily read my Bible. There was no one else in this house. I lived in a dormitory house with like 20 other kids from around the world. Um, and no one else was really going to church or necessarily seeking God. Um, so I, yeah, I I didn't really get into the word. Um, I would say that God, my relationship just didn't have much depth. Mm -hmm. Um, but there were times when the training got really hard and intense that I would put in my earbuds and listen to Nicole Nordman, um, (laughs) in my bed and just like cry, you know, because I, I really connected to that kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um and like I was very into like mercy me and like yes, <laughs> those kinds classic. of classic. Yeah. Uh so I listened to just a lot of like Christian music when I was younger. Um then I, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, I uh, this crazy thing happened where um I was understudying as a trainee this one ballet called thema variations and i got a phone call when i was at trader joe's from the ballet mistress who was setting the ballet and she said do you know this person's part and i said um no but i can like i i will i'll do whatever you know at that point when you're a student you will step up whenever there's an opportunity even if and i learned that because i had done that a couple times already just stepping into roles in which they were surprised that i knew what i was doing so um i stepped into this uh dancer's role and because i had stepped up um they the director of the company san francisco ballet before dress rehearsal um i yeah, I had, I had learned this part basically by myself and had some private rehearsals with the ballet mistress, but I I went on stage with the whole company and he came down to my dressing room, which the students are in the basement, you know, so <laughs> I'm in the basement and I'm going over the choreography just to make sure that I know it. And he said, how do you feel? I'm like, wait, why are you in the basement right now? Like my, my, the director of the ballet company found me in the basement. Helgi Thomason, right?
0: Oh my Uh, gosh. I thought he was basically a demigod whenever I was growing up in ballet. I was like, oh my gosh, he's just so incredible. And so I'm fangirling right now. Just let you
1: know. Yeah. So he found me and he, he grabbed my hands and he said, like, how are you feeling? I was like, well, I'm nervous. I, you know, I, I just, I, but I know the part, like, I, I I'm going to try and do my best, sir. Like, um, and he said, well, as of today, you're a member of the company and I, I I just was like, what? Like massive dream come true. Um, it was mid-season. So the, the ballet season usually starts in the summertime and it was January. That, uh, yeah, it was January, late January of the season. So the company had already learned all the material they were going to be performing in the next couple months. And um, I, he was basically telling me that I'm joining the company now. Um, it's mid season, and immediately I just was shot into adulthood right away wow. a couple months after my eighteenth birthday, so crazy,
0: yeah. oh my gosh, what a moment i <laughs> That's so epic! I'm having a hard time recovering. Basically, I won't
1: ever forget walking down the hallways, like up to the stage, and just after that, just praising God. Like, thank you, God. Like, I, I have no, I had no idea that this was gonna happen. Like, and I, I really knew that God had made this happen. Like, I, I remember just praising Him and thanking Him for giving me a job. Yes. Praise Jesus.
0: I was just joking with Arianne, um, my last friend that I interviewed, and we're like, all we need around here is jobs and Jesus. That's all we're asking for. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> uh, so it's so good to hear the story of how he provided. But the um, what you mentioned uh, a bit ago, uh, whenever we were talking about your teenage years of how the cycle of injury entered... Correct your, entered your life. And as it's a cycle, I'm sure that it continued to come up. So how did your story progress from there?
1: Absolutely. So I was elated when I first joined the company and, um, about two years in, I had the worst ankle sprain I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, I basically injured every ligament in my right ankle. Like that is in your right ankle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Doctors were like, well, you, you won. You <laughs> one of them. Yeah. The cool. So that was the and, – and I was so new in, in – I was such a baby Christian that I knew that there was something about Romans 8, though, that um, uh, God would work all things together for good, and I was like, okay, you know what? He works all things together for good, mm-hmm. like – he he'll help me like, this is probably a great time for me to grow in my faith. And it was like ballet was taken out of my life. And I actually was able to understand that that will constantly be an idol slash identity stealer for me Mm. that, um, I, I had based so much of my identity being a ballet dancer and on what I had achieved, you know, I, I am a professional people looked at me and called me ballet dancer. (laughs) Like that was my identity. And, and when you can't dance and I didn't want anyone to call me a ballet dancer, I didn't, I didn't really know who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I actually started reading the Bible for myself because I said, I have nothing right now. Like I don't have my friends around. They're all at work. Mm -hmm. I don't have my family here. I live alone in San Francisco. I wasn't living alone. Sorry. I was in a, in a house with three, two other girls, but they were at work. They were both ballet dancers too. So I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, but I, that, I got really plugged into a church, um, in San Francisco, another way of God's providence, honestly. And, um, I joined a community group and it was there that I started to gain this perspective that the world is much bigger than the ballet world. And, um, people just really spoke truth into my life. And I was just really, I remember just waking up every morning, like so hungry to know God's word. And because like, it just started to become a, like he is a refuge and his word became a refuge to me, like giving me peace beyond my comprehension of my situation. And I remember reading second Timothy um, where uh, Paul, you know, was telling Timothy uh, bodily exercise is profitable, but godliness is profitable on all things like having profit for this life and the life to come. And I'm like, wow. Oh, (sighs) that, that rings so true to me because I couldn't exercise. I couldn't be, I couldn't work on like my body. Um, but for, for Paul to say that godliness is profitable for now and for eternity, like that made me so curious to know more about Jesus. And, um, I, yeah, I, I just remember reading the gospels and that's when I, I wouldn't say it took, a took a lot more of God's work in my life to, for me to understand how I was a sinner. Mm-hmm. I really struggled with that yes. because I, I was noted as a, a good girl doing the right things. Oh, you, you know, and I always saw yeah. sin as external. And even just reading through the gospels with the Pharisees, sometimes I'd be like, why do you, why are you talking like that to Jesus? Like, (laughs) but it actually wasn't until I started, um, dating my husband now that, uh, there were certain parts about the word of God that really stood out to me in the way in which I realized I had been judging him, Mm -hmm. um, that I saw, oh my gosh, my sin, it, it, it runs deep inside of me. It's not what I do externally. It's who I, who I think that I am and how I think of myself ab- above other people or how I exalt myself it- internally when I am compared to other people. Like that's where, that's where it is. And like, um, you know, pride, pride, pride. Oh I started that's, that's to see the in the one. Bible how you know God uh, like appalls pride, and and pride becomes comes before a fall, and I saw that pride in myself, and then that's when I really was like, oh my gosh, Jesus died for my pride, He died for my perfectionism, He died like all these things that I saw that internally actually really were. I was enslaved to, mm-hmm. like I yeah. was really enslaved to. Absolutely,
0: goodness, uh, that is. I'm just filled to the brim with all the words that you shared about the richness that the Lord had for you in this injury, in this time that was not ideal according to the world standards or um, your personal desires, uh, but look at all that he had waiting for you and what you shared about, hey, I, I learned to not just first love God, because that's often how our faith seems to start for a lot of people, including me. Yeah, love God. And what you shared um, in the beginning, you know, I, I sensed that it was a good thing to love God. Mm-hmm. So I started to explore that and start to feel that for myself. But then uh, your um, coming to the word and starting to see that as a source of life um that's often the next step um, and then the last being understanding the weight of our sin it brings it back to the first point of understanding god's love at that how, how much it takes, according to the human standard, to love someone beyond their sin and that God died uh, and to atone for all that we've done and will continue to do. Um, I, I'm so encouraged by your testimony there. And so with all that deepening of your faith that occurred during that break, how did your experience being a ballet dancer changed whenever you got to go back
1: mm. yeah that 's a great question i I saw that my you know being a Christian and being bought and called by christ and was the greatest joy in my life, mm-hmm. and that was the thing in which my identity in christ was was what was getting, it was his grace that was getting me through this injury. And I saw coworkers who also would struggle with injury. And I just felt like I was able to empathize because I had been through it, you know? And at that time I um, started sharing that, you know, Christ, like Christ is he is the greatest joy in my life like and he and he is the one in whom your soul is really hungry for actually and um so i i would start to kind of share a little bit with my friends who were struggling who were not christians um and just sometimes even i mean classical ballet and San Francisco ballet it's a very high intense environment it's so stress filled and you know sometimes the the dressing rooms would really feel like a safe haven and we lived there like we lived in those dressing rooms Mm -hmm. so I was surrounded by you know five girls consistently throughout the entire season the ups and the downs and we had some really low moments some of some of my friends and um those were moments in which I just asked, like, can I pray for you? Like (laughs) is like, would you mind? And, and they would let me pray for them. And, um, I just, I saw my place being so much more than just working for this company. I saw that, like, I wanted to be a conduit of the, the love of Jesus in that place. Mm. And amongst the people who were in my life, and i didn 't want to shy away from that because I knew that that was my truest identity, like
0: the so. Lord healed your identity yeah oh, wow, that is like the biggest work that I have felt that I needed, and so whenever other people tell me of how the Lord redeemed that for them, it it fills me and chokes me up more than anything sometimes, because um, I know how great of a work that is, and sometimes how how far away it feels whenever I have thought, Lord, like no, I, I'm a ballet dancer, I am a, a student, I am a consultant, far before I could genuinely say first, I am a follower of Christ. Mm. Um, and
1: I think that's when that's, it comes when the gospel is just so, you see it, you see glimpses of what it is. Like, I think that for all of us, like we're never going to know the full magnitude of the glory of this gospel, this good news. And um, I, I would catch glimpses though of like, This is what I was made to enjoy is Jesus and and this identity that not only is so um, rich now and because of the work he did for me, like it's not about me doing work for him anymore or Mm -hmm. like me living this like life to prove myself to other people or prove myself to God like God knows me. I, he knows the depths of my heart and he knows how quickly I will be like a sheep and go astray, like everyone to their own way. That is me. Like I will do that. I will worship the, the altar of ballet. Like I'm very prone to do that. But when I see that so much freedom in being Christ, Mm. that like, I, yes, I'm a slave to Christ, Mm -hmm. but it is the most freeing form of, of like, uh, worship because when I worship ballet, I'm enslaved and I, and I am under the shackles of my body image, being perfect in what I can do, uh, what parts I'm getting, um, like my injuries I am and those I've drowned under. Like I've drowned yes. under that ballet will never give me what it asks of me. And Christ, oh. like he, he gives me like so much more. And I don't even have to like, all I, he calls me to do is repent and believe like, yes. and he is one and who just like overflows um, and will always give more of of himself and his spirit and to me like that's the only way in which my identity has been transformed is because of the gospel like so praise jesus for that
0: i am so eager to ask you more questions about how your faith integrates with your work but in order to do that i so want to hear about how you got from this point of being in san francisco ballet as a company member to what you're doing now and all that exciting stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. so um, throughout my time at San Francisco Ballet as a dancer, I was there for seven seasons and I was in that cycle of injury. So every couple of years I would brain my ankle, some freak accident would happen and it just was so exhausting after a point and the schedule is really demanding So, um, you know, we, we would be on our feet dancing from 9am till 11, like it with, with shows it's, it's very taxing on the body. And I felt like after a certain point, the schedule was too much for me. Um, and my husband, he, he also struggled with injury and, um, God, graciously (laughs) provided this job for him with a smaller company in the East Bay of San Francisco when, after we had just gotten married. So he started dancing for this company of like 10 dancers and he'd come home every day, happy, healthy. Um, and I'd go see him perform and he was dancing the whole, he would dance all three acts of the, the he was dancing more than he ever had at San Francisco ballet. And I think it was just because the environment was encouraging the environment was, um, his director just was so kind and loving and, um, really was not judging him every day. He was in the studio. Like there was a level of trust and respect. So I saw that and I was like, that's what I want. I want to be healthy. Um, I just, I, I want to, I, I need that. Like I need to be in a different environment. So, um, in twenty seventeen, I had some really freak accident with a freak injury of pulling my psoas, and it's a really deep muscle in your abdomen. I couldn't walk. It was in I think it was stress induced. It was there were a lot of factors emotionally for me that went into that. And so I knew this environment's not gonna change. I'm gonna have to make a change. Like I I what what is it? <laughs> I I would love is to, to be with my husband. Um, so I, that was a really tough decision to make because I think a lot of people would look and say, you're leaving behind benefits. You're leaving behind this amazing company that on the outside just looks like so high level, you know, but I knew that I just, I, I couldn't continue. And, um, I prayed a lot about it and I just felt the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding in that decision to leave. So um, I left and I reached out to my husband's director and said, I'm so, I, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I'm a big fan of how you run your company. And, and I would be so honored to get to dance for you if you would like to have me. And, um, she gave me a job. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. Really amazing.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, how did, uh, you come to this point of, well, also I'm picking up on these little themes of, wait, before ballet was really the main thing you also always enjoyed these side things i mean mod
1: podging for what i'm just kidding but uh i'm not kidding that really actually came up
0: really oh that's amazing um
1: but you had these other
0: interests and right um also writing such a skill (laughs) and something that you're gifted at when did you start your blog ballet to business and then how did that develop into what it is now
1: So great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, those times came from my injuries. So when I would get injured, I said, I can either tell myself I am good for nothing, or I can explore and see what else that I would like to do. So in San Francisco, I started (laughs) picking furniture up from the side of the street and painting furniture. I loved to paint. and, And I, you know, that, that, it was a combination of interiors and creativity that just, I loved. And, um, I started, uh, getting dressers off of Craigslist for my friends. And, um, I would paint up these dressers. And so my, my side furniture business was called Renovay and not dance
0: emotions. Come on.
1: No, (laughs) no. should have been dance emotions yeah basically furniture no um i yeah so renovate i i whenever i got injured i would always come back to renovate stuff and so i wanted to start a blog for that because i was like i love the before and after pictures of like hey this piece of furniture looked horrible but like look at what you know new life like it was it I I kind of like redeemed it you know Mm -hmm. um and I felt like that kind of tied into just like my story too of like what Christ is so good at is just like redeeming us and like breathing new life into our like stubborn hard hearts and I wanted to breathe life into new furniture that was just neglected and left on the street so that's what I did and then Um, there was something though that I, I really like wanted to be recognized for that. Like, uh, whoa, this ballet dancer is doing furniture. Like, and I, I wasn't proud of that desire. I, I, and I, I would just pray like, God, I don't understand like why I really like want to be recognized. Like you, you, you were so humble in this earth and in this life that you didn't you weren't after your own reputation, like you laid laid that aside in a way. Um, and uh, it was so crazy, though, because actually this opportunity came up where uh, I ended up being featured in this ballet magazine for my furniture. <laughs> oh so uh, my! I, um, I got wait, that this is so
0: crazy <laughs> because at every point, and it feels like my testimony. Every point that I relate to and like, I had this dream. I just feel like a lot of stuff wouldn't happen. And now I'm getting all jealous because it's like, I had a dream to be a trainee for San Francisco Ballet. It happened. And then you were in Point Magazine, which uh, high key, not even low key. I had a dream to be in. Uh, So that's
1: amazing
0: that it happened.
1: But I'll tell you, Kelsey, I mean it's not what it's cracked up to be because it's one of those things that we set our hearts on these, these dreams, because we think that it'll fulfill this void or this, this longing, but it's that, that longing or the things that we say, if only I had this, then everything would be great. Like that, that only thing is Christ. And I, so I got that, that opportunity, but it totally i mean it was it, it was such an honor but it didn't give me what i thought it would in terms of i thought my business was just going to fly like i thought i'd get so many people looking at my blog i thought i'd get all these followers on instagram and i didn't get i got zero from that that's crazy and it was just a way in which i felt like god was just showing me that like that's not those things that you think you want like they're not going to satisfy you it just will not do it Mm -hmm. and that i learned from that but what i did what caught on to me was i got to connect with a friend because of that article so she i had met her at summer intensive when we were 13 and she came over to my apartment and interviewed me and i hadn't seen her since i was 13 you know so and how I, old are you at this point in the story? At that time, I was 24. twenty-four. Ten years. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Yeah, ten years, and I we had the best time. Like she was interviewing me, but we were just like catching up on life and uh, reminiscing, and also just like excited for each other's futures. And I realized that that was the most important thing that could come out of that experience. It wasn't me getting this glory or me um, being able to think that my business was going to take off, it was connecting with her. That really, really stuck with me. But then I thought, wow, if I was kind of like a small business owner and I was really kind of needing recognition, I imagine that other small business owners really – recognition – I'm not saying that recognition is not – Something in which can help someone because I do think that it can help someone get the exposure that they need or be exposed to the right people. But I think it's the desire for recognition that really mm-hmm. ate me up inside. But I wanted to give that to other dancers who I saw were starting their own businesses and so i started ballerina in business i switched my blog from renovate ballerina in business and um in the summer of 2018 i started highlighting dancers in business and i would just see you know i had a friend who lived in utah who was the ballerina baker and she baked wedding cakes for all the dancers and her cakes are stunning you know but she made a website she has an instagram for her business like I just saw her committing so much of herself to this business and I wanted her to be recognized I also think that for myself being in the court of ballet so that means that at San Francisco ballet I was one in like 30 other dancers, male and female, but on stage, oftentimes that, that means you're not the one in the spotlight. You're the one who's on the side of the stage standing. You're, you're one who looks like everybody else and it's beautiful and humbling. And I'm so grateful for my experience as a quarter ballet member, but I wanted these business owners and ballet dancers to feel like they were in the spotlight. Like I wanted to give them a spotlight. So that's why I started my blog in that way.
0: Oh my goodness, this is like what I'm coming from the perspective of recently having finished my class, The Call to Career, the live version here in Austin, I'm going to do it into an e-course, but part of the segments or how it's broken up is like considering what, who did God make you to be? Like what are the attributes instilled in you, your skills, your talents, your strengths, your spiritual gifts? Um, and then second understanding what did God put on your heart to do and I just see the lattice of that coming together here uh, of you having a, a skill or a gift for writing mm-hmm. um, and your experience and your story of ballet in the context that you've grown up in uh, and worked in and then the desires of your heart to which the Lord often, He redeems them. And so it's two sides, one coin, as I often see. There's this uh, desire that's uh, of the world or fleshly, as we would say, as a Christian. um, And the Lord redeems it to say this, like what man meant for evil, God uses for good as it ends the book of Genesis with that. Um, And I see that happening here how you also turned that into a point of service, not just how can I redeem this for me, but how can I redeem it and then use it to serve others? And I remember, I think it was 2017, around the time whenever you started this whole thing, you featured my twin sister, Kirsten. And Kirsten called me from Oklahoma and was like, you would never believe this dancer from San Francisco ballet has featured me on her blog and we were fangirling so hard and so it's kind of surreal to be in this moment and to um say that memory out loud (laughs) and here we are pals that's so crazy um and so tell me how this developed ballet to business has uh, grown lengths and kept on walking
1: (laughs) oh man thank you thank you for that it was it was so special i i mean i had watched your both of your youtube like Channel, I, I somehow stumbled upon your YouTube channel. And so I, that was always in the back of my mind to uh, feature, you know, Kirsten with Twin Talks Ballet. And um, so I, you know, this, the blogging, I was able to feature, I think, 20 dancers across the summer. Then I got back into just a lot of work. <laughs> so I had to kind of put it aside. Um, And I, but I always knew that I loved writing about these dancers in business, but I felt like they needed to tell their stories for themselves. I mean, I, I had gotten really into listening to podcasts and I felt like that was the perfect medium in which these, uh, which people can share their story and without me just kind of surprising them and writing about them. So I wanted to, I wanted to somehow get into podcasting, but I obviously had to leave that to the wayside with just my job as dance, being a dancer. And also I, I got really into teaching ballet as well. Um, so fast forward to February, 2019. Um, I, so since I have sprained my ankle so many times, I, I had no ligament in my right ankle. And I also was contracting a bone spur on the top of my foot just because my foot was so unstable, and I had three floating bones near my Achilles. so <laughs> my foot was hurting. My foot was to hurting. say the least <laughs> And I, I you know I just I kept dancing, um, and granted this, I think that my my injury that happened in February, so. I did get, I did spray my ankle again in February, 2019, but it felt a lot different than it had before just because the environment which I was dancing in was so supportive and loving. And um, I didn't, it, it didn't feel the same. So I think the cycle of injury, this was just different to me, um, but it was still equally as disappointing. Uh, it was a dress rehearsal for this ballet I really wanted to perform and had been looking forward to performing. And my husband's on stage. He's watching me do my solo, and I go up for a jump. I land on the floor.
0: No, what it is. Yeah. my stomach just did a flip. Like I'm I knew so we sorry. were going to come to this moment, <laughs> and especially for um, someone who also, you know, had a background in ballet, it's like nobody likes to hear this point of the story where it's like the jump, the fall, the drama. You were on stage, so crazy. Oh. I'm so sorry that happened.
1: And, and my relationship with, with God, it just, it was really hard because I felt like when I was younger and I was a, you know, new Christian, I was like, just immediately optimistic about the good. At that point, I just was angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so angry and I was so tired of this being part of my story and I just, I was like, God, I just feel like I'm constantly being disappointed in this area. Like, um, so I really, really wrestled. Um, but I knew, but, but God, the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that like, he reminds you of the word of God. And because I had stored up so much of the word of God by reading whenever I'd get, you know, just starting to read the Bible for myself back in San Francisco, there are these verses that he just kept bringing to my mind in that moment to comfort me. Like, even though I was so angry, it didn't take away my anger, but he comforted me in that, like for this light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, God, the Lord gives and takes away, blessed be his name. Like this was a moment in which I could either curse God or continue to bless God. And I said, God, you've done too much for me in Christ. You've given me everything. Like I could never, I can't curse. There's no way I can curse you. Like I'm upset. I'm, I'm so disappointed, but like, I will still bless your name because you're that good. And, um, so once I got injured, I said, okay, what am I going to do? Um, I ended up having to get surgery in April. And so I knew that my time off would be a long time. And that's when the seed of the idea I had about podcast, was like, now's the time I got to do it. <laughs> I got to make it happen. So, um, I, I actually shout out to, um, Pat Flynn. He's a podcast guy and he has a course. And I said, I'm going to invest, I'm going to invest in myself because I wanted, I don't want to go through the mistakes if I don't have to, like, if this guy is telling me how to do it and he'll teach me how to do it, I want to do it his Mm -hmm. way. So I took the Power Up Podcasting course by Pat Flynn.
0: I, I'm like shaking my head, like yeah. Power Up Podcast oh, yeah. course. That, oh, that's a ring to it.
1: I know, right? But it was really, it was really great because he just walked you through um, everything: tagging your episodes, uploading it to Libsyn, like or whatever third-party RSS feed you use. But also, I had been really intimidated because one, I don't like the sound of my voice 2 I'm a slow, I'm typically a slow speaker. I like to think a lot before I talk. And I was like, how am I? And also I'm not a good question asker. And I had all these doubts about like, just this is not, there's nothing in me that is good at this. So I, I thought until I just started practicing and I, and I feel like what got me through that, though, is thinking about how much I just wanted these stories to be told for the dancers in business. Like, even though I feel inadequate, I have to do this because, like, I know that, like, they need to share the story.
0: Mm. Yes. Wow. That, I mean, speaking of the Holy Spirit giving you, um, bringing up the word, in your mind whenever you need it this just uh, is drenched in uh the story of moses and god talking in exodus uh chapters three and four whenever moses is like but i i can't speak i'm slow of speech i think is the actual words that were used and um and god says uh I- i'm paraphrasing but am-, am i not the one that gave you that mouse yeah and will show you how to use it or will help you use it. And, um, I am so inspired that what got you through was not some vain pep talk of, um, self-promoting mantras that is so common these days in personal development. And uh, I got really into that for a while before I repented of new age, um, Beliefs and practices, but instead you connected to I am called to this, and this is a um, an assignment of service that. I want to show up for because there's other people that um, the Lord wants to bless and serve through this. Mm. And that that was your motivation and that that's what got you through, according to what you're saying, blows me away and encourages me so much uh, and inspires me as well. So I, and also let me just say right now, I have listened to all of your podcasts that are out right now, your episodes that are out. And I, whether you are really, uh, I don't know, upplaying those potential weaknesses, or I'm sure that you've just worked so hard um, to put out such a high quality podcast, I've not once thought, oh, her voice is, you know, whatever, anything less than lovely and incredible or uh, slow. No, I usually speed up podcasts and I listen to that on just plain 1x speed so I could savor all of it. And your questions and the way that you guide the story is so incredible. So I do want to encourage and commend you for all of that. That despite being wary of those weaknesses, you have overcome all of them, not for your name's sake, but for the for the Lord and for the people that you're serving. So that's Beyond incredible, Jordan.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for that. It just reminds me of this scripture, too, that I was thinking about this morning is that, you know, he leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Like, that the things in which God has prepared for us to walk into are for his name's sake. And, Mm -hmm. like, what a gift that he does prepare things for us to walk into and that we're not walking by ourselves. Like, I love. You know, I love that Psalm, Psalm 23. um, The Lord is my shepherd. I used to actually recite that Psalm to myself when I would stand on stage for Swan Lake all the time um, because you have to be really still. And uh, there's a lot of other thoughts that can go into your mind about uh, how much pain you're in or maybe how tired you are. But um, that was always a refuge for me. And I just committed it to memory then. So it's it's continued to be a refuge, especially even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Like mm-hmm. thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Like in my affliction with ballet in terms of getting injured and stuff, like it felt like a rod, you know, like and and yet like he Jesus is such a good shepherd that he always has his staff and he's always with me. Like, um I just don't want people to be afraid of, of suffering because I think that for the Christian, there's so much rich theology and suffering for us, Mm -hmm. so much hope. And, um, not only in this life, but the life to come, especially in terms of how, uh, the glory in which is like, you know, going to be had where every, every tear will be wiped from our eyes and sorrow will be no more. I, I am so excited for that. So suffering is very hard in this life. It is. And Jesus said, we will have sorrow, but we can take heart because he's overcome the world. And, um, I want people to know that. So I, I do share my story, um, when I can about suffering and injury and surgery because I want people to know that my hope is not in my circumstances getting better or in, um, me being able to achieve something. But the hope that gets me through is Christ like, um, and not only the grace that he gives me every day, but the future, I can't wait. I just can't wait to be reunited with him. Yeah. I I can't wait for that day. So
0: Oh my goodness. I I'd love to go to something that I've been thinking of just as I witness your your podcast, your presence on Instagram and your blog, I kept on thinking gosh, how how do you graciously so graciously share what you firmly believe, but it's not, uh, how do I say it? Like you just, so you hold a diverse audience of faith backgrounds so well, Mm -hmm. and you serve the people you're called to so well and are true to your belief as a follower of Christ. Um, but have really walked that line well of how do I share, but, you know, still be someone that's not in overtly Christian work. Um, I guess that's how I would sum sum it up, which is a struggle of mine. How do you be a Christian um, and honor the Lord but stay in not overtly Christian work. I felt like I couldn't uh, handle that very well. So I just was like, I'm going all in to overtly uh, like a Christian message, a career coaching from a Christian perspective. So I'd love to hear how do you do that? <laughs>
1: um, it's I'm reminded actually of, uh, I was reading Mark 5, yesterday about the story in which you know there's the the man who's just in chains right and and christ is able to like release that legion of demons and and after that you know this man is like sitting in his right mind and people are just absolutely overwhelmed at what happened to this man the this man that could not be tamed and christ tamed him and you know this this he, he wants to follow him after that. But then Jesus said, like, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And I think about that. That's, that's how I feel when I'm, when I'm sharing like the gospel is to tell my friends how the Lord has had compassion on me and what great things he has done for me. And so I, I try and take that perspective when sharing my faith in that I'm just telling what Jesus has done for me. Like, and I don't know how you're going to respond to that, but I can't deny what he's done and how compassionate he's been toward me. Um, So that's how I, I try and share, I, I try and share that. And I think sometimes it's hard because people maybe who are not Christians can see the faith as being so narrow and, you know, Christ saying that he is the way, the truth, the life, like he is saying that it's narrow. However, like I know for me that I was once dead and he brought me to life. Like he gave me life and I don't know what he can do with the words in which I try and share, but I know that I have nothing. There's no convincing argument that I can give that's going to give someone new life. That's the, the Holy spirit. That is salvation, which the Lord does. It's not anything that any man can do. So I just try and be faithful to sharing like, How gracious god has been to me you are
0: you're so uh, you're doing it well sister let me just tell you that and it's an inspiration to me um and your words are an encouragement as i um unfortunately find myself slipping into the kind of tell you attitude instead of share what i can't help but express uh the gratitude that's on my heart Mm. um and so thank you for being that example. I'd also love to ask you what a calling means to you.
1: It's mm. a great question. Sorry if it's a hard one. I just <laughs> it, it, always but it, But I think it's, it, I think it's a, a question that we need to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say back in my younger years, I would think of calling Leah's as vocation. Like I'm being called only into this vocation. But then again, that's when I can skew and just start thinking about myself only and all that I can do in my vocation for God. But it it just becomes, becomes prideful to me when I think about it that way. So when I think about my first and foremost calling as being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, like being redeemed. Like that is my, the, the greatest call in which Jesus would call me to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, only from that being my identity, then in which I feel like I'm able to see the ways in which I can love others through what I do. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I put what I do above that primary calling of following Christ and forsaking, you know, because Christ could, could ask me not to be like, he could take ballet away from me yeah. for good. And he's right in doing that. Like, because it's a gift, like ball- to be a ballet dancer has been a gift. Um, and he can give and take away. Like, so I, I would say that a calling for me is to, to follow Christ And to be faithful in like the day-to-day. So like he gives daily bread. I want to be faithful to the work that I see today for me, Uh, especially right now I'm going through rehab for my ankle. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time in my life where I feel like I'm not anxious about having to get back to ballet by a certain time because the Lord's prayer has been such a refuge for me and that He will give me my daily bread. Um, And so that's kind of where I'm at with calling is being faithful to the call of following Christ and then the work that I have with podcasting and with uh, taking care of my body and going into teaching ballet and then hopefully going into dancing, Lord willing, in the future can come from a place of serving Christ from that calling of being his, like that I can do it out of love.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to keep that seared in my brain of what you said that a calling is following Christ and then being as faithful as possible in the day to day. Mm -hmm. I think that just gave such a distinction because if we are seeing our calling as a, a very ideal career that in which we get to have a legacy, get to do a great thing, get to have all the meaning and purpose come from our work instead of our faith, then um, we've missed the point because then we are putting our our hope in um and like you said, my hope is not in ballet, but it could be, and I know that um, we've all struggled with putting our hope in um. In our secondary calling, as I like to add that distinction, which is our occupation, mm-hmm. um, but in staying true to what you said—that a calling is following the Lord and being as faithful as possible in the day to day—it reminds me that my occupation, my uh, in terms of a calling that could change. That's according to the Lord and His discernment. It could change tomorrow. It it could be, hey, think of it as being as faithful as possible into the month to month or the year to year. I could have a vision and a strategy um, and a trajectory for my career, but that still belongs to the Lord. And that's so secondary to me responding to the call to follow Him no matter where that leads every day um, and putting my hope in Jesus and not my career. So I'm so, so encouraged by that. Goodness. This is just like one huge encouragement fest. I'm going to have to listen to this regularly. Uh, I'd love to close by asking what wisdom do you have for people who are currently trying to discern what their calling is?
1: Mm -hmm. read the Bible. (laughs) I would just say, because, you know, the word of God is a double-edged sword and he, he will uproot, convict and sharpen. Um, and honestly, like what I've been kind of thinking about too, is how important, like you know, the Bible is full in Proverbs too, of just like wisdom being something to like search after. And it's more valuable than riches and gold. And like, I'm like, do I value wisdom in that light? Like that, that the word of God and and also Jesus is like the Logos. He is like the, the wisdom um, and unsearchable wisdom too, that he is. So I would say to get alone and read your Bible Mm -hmm. for yourself. I think that in my walk as a Christian so far, there have been times in which I've learned a lot from really faithful pastors and teachers of the word of God. And I am grateful for that. And I continue to listen to, you know, pastors like John MacArthur, Tim Keller, um, uh, Ligonier guy. Uh.
0: Ray, help! Husband. <laughs> help,
1: Ray, we love him. Cool.
0: This is hilarious. This is something I so experience on the daily. Oh.
1: Kirsten, help! <laughs> RC Sproul. <laughs> RC Sproul. Yeah. RC Sproul. <laughs> but I would say there are times in which I've relied too much on listening to them talk about the scriptures instead of reading the scripture for myself. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm fallen. I know that I can mistake context or, you know, twist. I, I, I could be prone to twist something to favor myself, but I, I, I do try and pray before I read the Bible that the Holy Spirit would open my eyes and open my heart to understand his word from his perspective, because it's God's word. It's a book about God. It's not a book about me. And that's taken me a long time to understand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh. that I came to that realization whenever I um, watched this sermon from Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Dallas that I used to go to when I lived there. And he <laughs> said, you... Aren't David like you are not Abraham? Get over yourself. This book is about the the Lord. It's not about you having uh an epic uh tale about how you're the hero in this story. Jesus is the hero in this story. Yeah. So be humble, sit down is the whole premise of that.
1: <laughs> be
0: <laughs> humble, <sit> down. Yeah. <laughs> uh my testimony in a sentence be humble sit down well jordan they wait no before i say goodbye for anyone listening who did not respond to my initial instructions (laughs) to hey go ahead keep on listening to this but i know what you could do you could continue on you know apple Podcasts, spotify she has it in all the places search Ballet to Business, subscribe to that-ish because it is so good. Um, This is not just a typical turn on the mic, uh, add a little bit of music at the beginning, and then say bye in the end. This is wonderfully artistically produced stuff. So beyond the gold that's shared, it's just a delight to listen to. And this is not just for ballet dancers, by the way. If you enjoy How I Built This, which (laughs) Jordan and I both love and are so inspired by, then you'll love this podcast. There's incredible entrepreneurs on there that just so happen to have this shared background of getting their start in ballet, which yeah. in and of itself is interesting to get a peek into that world. So go listen, this is for you. Yes. And thank you, Jordan, so much for thank coming Thank
1: you. On. And you know, Kelsey's going to be on an episode in the future. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> yes. like, I am very excited for that. But also, I'm pretty excited because um, there's a copywriter, her name's Ashlyn Carter, and she's Uh, Also has a ballet background, but some people don't know that. And then there's also um, Bren Whiskey. Allison Park has a ballet background and she made her own whiskey. So it's just like, amazing. I'm just saying it's really not just sometimes that ballet dancers who are now in a profession that's tied to ballet in some way. There are those stories for sure, like the ballet competition or making leotards, but I tell you, there's some... There are some people who I hope that people listen to their story and then are surprised to find out they were ballet dancers and how much that influenced their entrepreneurship.
0: Yes. One day, maybe you'll interview Charlize Theron, the actress. That's my dream. I'm just proclaiming that for your podcast because <laughs> I know that she was a ballet dancer in some capacity. So who knows where this is going to go? I'm sure to great things. Jordan, thank you.